with fear and trembling, I want to ask you to turn to Lamentations, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 will be the verse range we'll be looking at today. Lamentations, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We'll be speaking on the topic, the work of God's wrath. And as we go through these verses, we'll see something of the nature or the character of God's wrath. We'll see that there is no acceptance. This is the outline, no acceptance in verse one. There's no mercy. You see that in verses two through five. No worship. In verses six through seven. No protection. Verses 8 through 9. God's word was given to us to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we may walk humbly before him. Let's look together at God's word. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a, a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like flame, like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all his places. He has laid in ruins his strongholds, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation, has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raise a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion he stretched out the measuring line 
He did not restrain, restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and priests are among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. This is God's. This is holy God's holy word. I'm pretty sure for most of us. When we do our Bible studies. The wrath of God. Is not a topic. That we seek out. It's not something that we study and meditate upon. On a regular basis. But it is a topic. That is covered in both the Old Testament. And New Testament. Listen, A.W. Pink, he writes, a study of the concordance will show that there are more references in the scripture to the anger, fury and wrath of God than there are to his love and tenderness. There's more references. To God's anger fury and wrath than there are to his love and tenderness. He goes on, he says, because God is holy, he hates all sin. And because he hates all sin, his anger burns against the sinner. End quote. Living in the wicked world we live in today, this should be our greatest concern. God is a God who is a God of wrath and God who is angry at sin. We should be people who are evangelizing every opportunity we get because of this reality. Nahum 1 and 2, chapter 1, verse 2 says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. And, 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 and not only should this be a subject that we study because of the nature of the world in which we live, but also the blessing that understanding the true nature of God and, and, and his anger towards sin really shines the, the, the brightness of, 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 of his glory in regards to the salvation and the grace that we experience as his children. We see this in, in, in Romans, the, the passage that, that Pastor Mark read, uh, introduces us to the, the, the sin reality of mankind, but following that, Paul goes into talking about the grace of God. You will never appreciate the grace of God like you should until you understand the true nature of sin. Listen to Robert Haldane and, and what he observed in, in regards to Romans. 
He says, quote, the declaration of the wrath of God. Listen to what he says. The declaration of the wrath of God is a fit preparation for the announcement of grace. Not only because wrath necessarily precedes grace in the order of nature, but because to dispose men to resort to grace. They must be affected with the dread of wrath and a sense of their danger. End quote. And Steve Lawson said it this way in regards to preaching on the, the, the divine wrath of God. He says, quote, the divine, the preaching of divine wrath serves as a black velvet backdrop that causes the diamond of God's mercy to shine brighter than 10,000 suns. He says it is upon the dark canvas of divine wrath that the splendor of his saving grace most fully radiates. Preaching the wrath of God most brilliantly showcases his gracious mercy toward sinners, end quote. There is something about understanding, understanding that this is what God saves us from that humbles us and, and, and intensifies our love for Jesus Christ. Pink added again, he said, our readiness or our reluctance to meditate upon the wrath of God becomes a sure test of our heart's attitude toward him. If we do not truly rejoice in God for what he is in himself and that because of all the perfections which are eternally re uh, reside in him, then how dwelleth the love of God in us. If we really want to study only some characters of God and ignore the others, he asks, how does the love of God remain in us? We don't love him if we don't want to know him as he is. And so lamentations is, is necessary if we're going to glorify God and glorify him rightly. Another author observed this, that if we don't do this, he says, without a clear understanding of God's hatred for sin, the character of God becomes mishappen and the universe bends toward human individuals regardless of their character. Love becomes pure affirmation. God becomes a personal friend who assists us in all life's difficulties. 
If you listen to the radio, that's the way many people sing about God. It's like it's they they sing this. It's, it's a love song uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 this God that they have created out of their own imagination. And so lamentations capture the, the severity that God has in his anger towards sin. And in lamentations, all we see is a a small demonstration. A, a, a small demonstration of God's consuming anger against sin. Just, this is just a small demonstration. And we see that nothing is left untouched. We've seen that so far. Every aspect of God's, the, the life of God's people, every aspect has been touched by God's anger. From the physical to the mental to every. Everything in their lives has been touched by his anger. And I think R.C. Sproul said it best in, in occasions in, 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 in uh, books like Lamentations. He said this. He said what God's people are experiencing are a taste of hell. We, as we read through Lamentations, all we're doing is getting a taste of hell. A small demonstration of, of God's consuming anger. And so, and today we'll see the different ways that God's anger is portrayed against his sinful people. So let's look at the passage together. We'll see that this is a punished nation. Israel is a punished nation. They experience no acceptance from God. Look, look at verse 1. Jeremiah is astonished to the extent of God's anger toward his people. And so he writes how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. The daughter of Zion here is a reference or refers to God's people, his chosen people. And notice, notice something. And, and, and we were introduced this to this in, our, in, in the last uh, section of scripture that we studied. That who is doing this? The Lord is doing this. And you'll see uh, we saw that. We'll, we'll see just in these few passages that God is referred to as Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And we'll see as we do here in this verse, Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, which is a reference to God's sovereignty. It's Adonai. It's God, the all-sovereign. It, it is the it is the, the Lord who is acting here, how the Lord in his anger has said, and you'll see this continue throughout this passage. This is a reference to, to what God, the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord God is doing. He, he is, and notice that Jeremiah says that he has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. 
God is no longer guiding and protecting his people like he did in uh, Exodus chapter 13 and 14. Remember the cloud that led the people, that protected the people? No, God now, it says the, the, the people of God are under a cloud. What kind of cloud? It's a dark cloud, the dark cloud of the anger of God. His people had despised him and rejected him. And so now God is giving them what they wanted, as Mark said earlier. God is is giving his people exactly what they wanted. They have lost their connection with heaven. There is no longer any more connection with heaven. Look what Jeremiah says. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of his people. The Lord has has cast the the splendor of, of Israel from the highest place to the lowest place. To the lowest depths of, of, of humiliation. Because they were prideful and they were sinful. Sort of like Nebuchadnezzar. It's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the king who, who has brought that God used as an instrument to bring all of this calamity upon Israel. Listen to Turn to Daniel chapter four. This is a story that is often referred to in children's book and in Sunday schools. Daniel chapter four. And just as God has used Nebuchadnezzar to humiliate his people, God is going to do the same thing to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse number 28. Remember, he has, he has had a dream and Daniel has come and, and told him what that dream was all about. Look at verse 20. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace, on the, on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And we'll see later on that the, 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 even the, the palaces in Israel are destroyed. And here the king is, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking out on his, the roof of his royal palace. And the king answered and said, look what he said, is this? Is, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now he should have got, he, he should have recognized that this ain't good. Because the people of God was, was glorying, it was, was glorying. And what God has done for them and yet still living sinful lives. But he, he is glory. He said, this, this is what I've done. And look at verse 31. While the words 
<laughs> were still in his mouth, in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men. He did this to Israel. He this, he 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 did this same thing to Israel. And you shall be driven from among men and you shall and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall make and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like Burglar. He was living. He was like a he was a madman. He was like a wild man. And at the end of the days, what days? The days that God determined that He would go into the wilderness to be this way. At the end of the days, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For his dominion is the everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord sought me. Then I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Hallelujah. God is able to humble the proud. And he has done that with Nebuchadnezzar. And he has done that with his people. Turn back over to Lamentation. They are prideful. And God has humbled him. He has cast down from heaven to earth the, the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. This phrase here, has not remembered, implies that, that God's disposition toward his covenant people is no longer blessing. They are now they are now experiencing his anger. Israel was a, a privileged nation because of of his covenant relationship with God. And in this relationship they had with God, they were obligated to worship and obey him alone. But they didn't do that. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah two, he said they had committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water, they forsaken him and turned and hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. They, they, they turned from God and God assisting them to the nations and their idols. And so here it is. God is, his, 
he he has poured out his anger upon his people and he's dealing with them now because of their disobedience, because of their sinfulness, because of their rebellion. He's dealing with them as if they are not his chosen people. He has taken away everything these prideful people thought that made them significant. Their religion, he, they thought, made them, and we'll see later on, God destroys the temple, the meeting, everything that, that was uh, according to the temple, God destroyed all of that. He did, there is no worship going on. He says here, he has, remembered his, he has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Footstool here may be a reference to the, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Psalm says that the, 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 that the heaven is the Lord and the earth is his footstool. But this probably here, the reference here, probably is a reference to Jerusalem. In his anger, the Lord has rejected Jerusalem as his footstool. The, the, the place where the people met him. The place where they went to hear his law. The place that they went to make sacrifice for their sins. They, they have lost their intimate connection with God. And, and all of the things, all of the religious things that they were doing. all Even the fact that that the nation had Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, even though the nation had Jerusalem with his temple, none of these things swayed God on the day of his anger. Their religion did not sway God on the day of his anger. And so this teaches us something that no religion, no angel, no person, no relic, no pope, no church, nothing will make you acceptable to God. N nothing. God destroyed the very things that the people cherished. And these things, in these things, God showed that he was pouring out the full weight of his divine judgment. And in all of this, we see something of Christ because God's son, Jesus Christ, bore the full weight of his divine judgment on the cross. His perfect he in his perfection bore the wrath of God for us on the cross. And Christ is our only hope, not religion, not the Pope. I know none of us look to the Pope, but the Catholic Church does. The Pope, relics. For us, it's more of religion and legalism. None of these things is our hope. Only Christ is our hope. 
And so there is no acceptance. There's no mercy. Look at verse two. The Lord again, the Lord. This is the all sovereign has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. This is the Lord still acting. <laughs> he has swallowed up or this he had destroyed without mercy or without restraint. All the, the towns of, of his sinful people. And even though he's he's dealing with his covenant people, he, he make no exceptions. <laughs> there are no exceptions because they are his 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 covenant people. He shows no partiality in dealing with them from the young to the old. To the great from the great to the small. There, there are there are no exceptions. And, and and we could reason in our minds as we read this. Wait a minute. This is these are God's people that we're reading about. But God don't owe anybody anything. He doesn't owe his chosen people mercy. He he dealt with them without mercy. He doesn't owe them mercy. He doesn't owe us mercy. R.C. Sproul said, quote, the greatest distortion in our thinking is thinking God owes us mercy. That God is somehow obligated to be gracious to us. The minute the, that idea comes into your head that God owes you mercy or that he owes you grace. He says, let a bell go off in your brain that says, whoops. I'm confusing these concepts because grace by its definition is voluntary. God is not required to be merciful. Because God is holy, anytime he, he says uh, he withholds justice, he gives us grace. But he doesn't have to do that. In Romans 2 and 4 says, don't you know that the goodness of God, God does this, God withholds what we deserve from us to lead us to repentance. But the time has come for his people, his, his chosen people to pay the price for their sins. But there is still hope. There is still hope for them. We'll see later. Here it says, in his wrath, he has broken down. He has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He's broken down the, 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 the strongholds, the places that, that were uh, places in which they, were, they sought to, to protect themselves from the enemy. God has broke those things down. And it goes on, he says, he has brought down to the ground and dishonored the kingdom and its rulers. The, the, the Lord no longer considers the nation and his and his rulers uh, to to be worthy of honor anymore. These the position that they had as the people of God and the position that the king and and the priests and all this all all others the position that they had as the people of God it don't mean anything now. God has brought disgrace upon them and humiliated them by making them slaves in Babylon. Verse three, he 
has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has broken down the strongholds. He has brought down the, the, the kingdom and its rulers. And he has cut down in the fierce anger all the might of Israel. He's cut it down or he's, he's broken into pieces the might of Israel. They are helpless. They are weak. They are defenseless. God, he says his, he, he goes on, he says, he has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. God's right hand symbolizes his strength, which he used to defend and protect his people. But God has withdrawn his protection. He, he has withdrawn his protection entirely from his people. And he, he, he has refused to protect them from their enemies. God has done this. And, and it says he has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all. God, God in his anger is consuming everything. Because his anger is burning like a fire against his people, devouring everything. Nothing is left untouched, nor does anyone escape. Everyone is, is, is experiencing. And, and, and this, once again, this pictures, this, this helps us to understand in, 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 a, in a very small way what hell is going to be like. And, and it also helps us to understand what God's judgment is going to be like. You can read in the Old Testament how God judged the, the, the wicked nations and, and, and how he opened up the ground and the ground swallowed man, woman, boy, girl, baby. Beloved, we don't understand. We don't understand God and his holiness. Nothing is left. Un this is what Jeremiah is showing. And he wants the people to acknowledge this, that because of their sin, there is nothing in their life that is not touched by the anger of God. Louis Burkhoff said, he said, he said that sin, he said, Sin brought disturbance in the entire life of man. And if that is true, if every aspect of their lives have been touched by sin, God's anger is touching every aspect of their lives because of their sin. And if God truly desired to pour out his full wrath upon us and give us what we deserve, we wouldn't exist. Well, once again, there's still hope for the people of God because Jeremiah is writing this lamentation to those who remain. God didn't wipe his people off the face of the earth. There was still a remnant that remained. And that was God's mercy. 
And this is, if you want to pick, this is our God. This is our God. Verse four, he has bent his bow like an enemy. He is acting against his people as their enemy. With his right hand, his like a foe, his, he is he is not protecting them with his right hand. He is ready to strike them with his right hand. Do you appreciate the grace you have in Christ? Do, do you appreciate the, the refuge that you have in Christ? Do you live like you appreciate the refuge that you have in Christ? Are you telling others about Christ? Because of the because he bore the wrath of God for you. And once again, nothing here is left untouched. He says here as he 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 has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. Jeremiah puts himself in here. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. Abner Child said in reference to this, he says, like, quote, like a consuming uh, fire consumes a tent. So God unleashed destruction against the families of Jerusalem instead of pouring uh, out his out the wrath, his wrath against the nations, he poured it out against his people. End quote. This is a terrible time for the people of God. Verse five, the Lord, once again, the, the all sovereign has become like an enemy. This is the emphasis is is repeated here. He he has become like an enemy. The Lord, the sovereign God is acting as an adversary to his people. He is treating them like he would treat their enemies. Jeremiah goes on. He has swallowed up Israel. In a sense, this, this, this swallow up is, is destroyed. He has destroyed. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all his palaces. He has laid in ruins of strongholds. He has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Everything is destroyed. All the strongholds, the, the palaces uh, of the, the rulers. And God has caused the, the, the sadness and sorrow of his people to increase, not joy, but their sadness and sorrow. And we see that there was no worship. There's no acceptance, no mercy, and no worship. The temple no longer was a place of worship and fellowship with God because God has brought it to ruin. And not just the building, but its function. Every, what it functioned for. Look at verse 6. He has laid waste his booth. This booth here is a Refers to the temple like a guard. He treated it like a, a, a garden shack. He has laid waste his, his booth like a garden laid in ruins. 
his meeting place where he met with the people. And notice there's a change. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D. This is Yahweh. This is the covenant God of Israel. And this, this is there. And once again, this, this says something to us. In the midst of all this suffering, God is still referred to as the God of Israel. He is still referred to as Yahweh. Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. In the midst of all this suffering, he is still Yahweh. He, he still remains the God of Israel. In the midst of this, he, he laid the ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget the festivals and Sabbath. There, there's no worship going on. There are no festivals going on. That God commanded. And he says in the, in his fierce indignation, he has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy, the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor. <laughs> They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. What Jeremiah is saying here is that the enemy is in the house celebrating just like they would on the day of festival. God has brought the, the temple to ruins, which implies that God is no longer relating to his people in that way. He has broken them from their religious legalism. <laughs> and beloved, can I tell you something? The possibility, the real possibility exists that many in this room is like Israel who are guilty of hiding their sinfulness, the sinfulness in the heart behind religion. There's a real possibility that that exists in this building. That we can hide behind religion. And this possibility increases the more you know the Lord. Or I should say, the possibility increases the longer you are a Christian, the longer you are experiencing his blessings, the longer you are doing his work. These, the longer you're doing these things, you can allow doing these things to eclipse God. And that's what the people of Israel did. As a matter of fact, not only eclipsed God, they replaced God and still did religious things. Like Nahab and Abihu. You know about them. 
They serve God. And it doesn't say why God destroyed them, but something that they did didn't please God. And we can do this. We, and I'm not saying God is going to strike us down like he did his people Israel. Because we are his children. What we're doing is inviting his discipline into our lives. That can that that uh, that that God can send to to turn us away from the things that we can boast in to him and to him alone. Like Paul said, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Paul boasted in Christ alone. Paul did not boast about his works or what he did. Christ was his boast. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you say that? If not, God is after that. God is God runs hard where we turn away from Christ. Just as he his people have turned away from him and he has destroyed their religion. They're no longer the righteous people. They're no longer the chosen people. They are a humiliated people. And what God desires in all of us, and we see here, God is humbling his people. What God desires for us is, is that we humbly, that, that we live humble lives before him, that we live repentant, repentant lives before him, that we live obedient lives before him, that we live devout lives before him, and that we live for him and for him alone. God is serious about the way we live our lives. This is what lamentation teaches us, that God takes the way he, his people live serious. God wants us to live not arrogant, in arrogance or in pride, or in with legally legalistic tendencies or in a self-sufficient way. In first Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Psalm 51 17 picks up on this and said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. God want us to see uh, the, our true state apart from him. Not go and build up our own kingdom and look to that and say, well, I'm, because I'm doing this for God, this makes me significant. God is after that. He is coming after us to break us of everything apart from loving him and obeying him out of love for him. So there's no worship. There's no protection. 
God has destroyed the city walls. The Lord determined to lay in ruin. The Lord, Yahweh, determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out his measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. There, there is no protection for Jerusalem. The gates, the walls, the ramparts, everything used for defense, the Lord has destroyed. There is nothing she can do to protect herself. Her kings, he says, and priests are among the nations. She has lost her spiritual and political leaders. And the law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The Lord withholds his revelation from his people. Who are we speaking about? We're speaking about God. This is God. And, and it might make you uncomfortable. But this is who this is. This is who he is. Praise God for the mercy that we find in Christ. Praise God for the acceptance that we find in Christ. What would I be if left to my own devices? But like a worm that is crawling on the ground in the dust. As I close, the, the destruction of Jerusalem teaches us something that God is a, a righteous judge and he will not leave the guilty unpunished. If, 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 if you have not embraced Christ, now is the time. Today's the day of salvation. Salvation from the wrath of God turned to Christ. Because if God's people experience his wrath, this is God's chosen people. If they experience his wrath, no one outside of Christ could expect to experience anything different when it comes to judgment, when standing before him and your place in eternity. The utter destruction and devastation of Jerusalem came about because of the Lord's anger against sin. And this is only a hint. This is only a hint of the total despair that awaits unrepentant sinners in hell. And so what would Jesus tell you to do? Jesus says, he said in Luke 13 and three, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. If you don't know Christ, unless you repent, such devastation and even, I mean, this is just a, a, a touch of the devastation that, that you will experience in, in hell. This is only a small portion of what hell is going to be like. And 
sense this is true. For those who are in Christ, those who have experienced his love, we should be telling others about this. You're going to die and go to hell one day. It's the most loving thing that we can do for those who don't know Christ. God told his people, this is what this is what's going to happen to you if you continue to disobey me and live in sin. And it and it happened. And if, and if that happened. God that says the sin, the soul that sinners that shall die. Is that not going to be true? If he kept his word to his people and they experienced his wrath. Let us cry out. To those who don't know Christ, come to Christ. But for those who of us trust in Christ, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. Rejoice on our knees. Because this could have been us experiencing God's wrath similarly in eternity. Let us pray. Father, the world around us reject you. And how do we know that they reject you? Because and many of them only want to hear, even if those who claim to be religious, all they want to hear is about how you love them. They, they don't want to hear any talk about hell. They, want, don't, they don't want to hear any talk about your disposition towards sin. They don't want to hear any talk about how because you are holy that we are to be holy if we're to be your people. Oh, the world turns against that and all they lift up is God is love. I'm thinking of people like Joel Osteen and and Robert Shuler, all of these self-esteem people that lift up a, a false gospel. A false gospel of, of, of where they only have a God of love, but are not a God of anger. That's 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 not the true gospel. The gospel exists because you are a holy God who is angry at sin. And Father, we thank you that, that we have the good news, the gospel it, that, that you have given us and revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We're able to read about it in the pages of scripture. We're able to read about the good news. And most importantly, Father, we are able to read of what life could have been like for us apart from you in hell. This is your love for us. Lamentations is, is, is your love for us because right now we're proceeding up to the apex. We 
We know that you are angry at your people. We know that your people have sinned. But in the next chapter, we're going to reach the apex. That your mercy still remains. And that is new every morning. Even as your people are suffering, your mercy has never left them. Because you didn't destroy them off the face of the earth. There were some who remained. And so, Father, we thank you for your mercy. It is in chapter 12 of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, that it says it's because of the mercy of God that we should present ourselves. Not what we do, but ourselves, our total being as a living sacrifice to you because of the mercy you have shown us in Christ. And this is reasonable. This is the, 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 the most reasonable thing for us to do who have experienced your mercy that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice so that you can do in our lives what you please. That you can send us where you please. So I thank you, Father, for your mercy that humbles us and motivates us to live for you and not bring to the altar our works, things that we in our lives that we want to be significant. We can lay all those things aside and present ourselves, our hands, our feet, our mind, our heart to, to be ready to do what you will, whether it is to live a life of discomfort or to die for you. We thank you, Father, for your mercy. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.